Hey everybody, we're here with the uh, Real Hawk Talk show. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons, and we're here with Brian Nemhauser live in Seattle. Nice to have you all with us today, and this is a brand new Seahawk show with the two of us. We've already got some great guests lined up, and over the next couple months, we're going to be talking about the Seahawks on a week-to-week basis, doing it from all sorts of fun angles. So just a heads up for today's show, we're going to pre- Preview training camp, which starts this weekend. We're going to hit on a bunch of key storylines and preview the upcoming season for the Seahawks. Also, we got a great little guest coming at the end. Uh, Seth Wickersham of ESPN the Magazine is going to stop by and he's going to talk about the big article he wrote in the team this year with angles on Russell Wilson, Pete Carroll, Richard Sherman, and how he sees the team going forward after kind of a chaotic season. We went right to the source and Seth was really good about all sorts of things on that article. So as I said earlier, I'm pleased to be joined by Brian Nemhauser, the owner and the creator of the Hawk Blogger brand and blog. So welcome to the show and thanks for the opportunity. Hey, Jeff. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Um, I think uh, there's a lot of great Hawk talk going around. Um, hopefully this will be a show where you and I can uh, get down to some of the brass tacks about what's going on with the team, um, You know, bring on some good guests. And I think you got a great one today. Uh, you know, I think people are really going to enjoy hearing what Seth had to say about his article and, you know, uh, you know, where he grew up in the Northwest and, and, uh, you know, what the, his experience was in, uh, following up on that, you know, really the story of the off season, to be honest, um, you know, it got a lot of press and the team's still responding to that story. And, um, yeah, I think people should definitely stick around and, and, uh, listen to that at the end and we'll have a bunch more guests, uh, over the course of the year, but, uh, Looking forward to um, you and I talking now, and uh, I think one of the other cool things uh, we should mention, we're using uh, uh, Shindig uh, to, to do this podcast, um, so there's video and there'll also be audio. For people that are listening to audio, you can check it out on YouTube at the Hawk Blogger channel. We'll have the, the video version of this, and um, uh, the way this system works, um, over time, we'll be able to have live audience, so people can come in. Um, you know, we'll let them know when we're recording this and they'll be able to ask questions and things of that nature. Um, very likely, I think we'll start by having some people, um, that are Hawk Blogger patrons be, you know, the first studio audience that gets to be in and the ones that get asked questions and people should go up to patreon.com slash Hawk Blogger, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Hawk Blogger, um, to learn more about how to be, become a, a Hawk Blogger insider. But let's, let's talk some Seahawks. Yeah, so there's probably some people who don't have a clue who I am. And so here's a quick, quick Cliff Notes version on me. I'm a new contributor to Hawk Blogger this year. I started around the draft time, and I did a couple mock drafts for the, the blog. I was one of the few people who probably had John Ross going to the Bengals, and I was one of the guys who predicted the Seahawks would take an interior pass rusher in my final mock draft. Not Malik McDowell, but I had them with Taco Charlton, who went pick after they traded back. For those who don't know me, I used to cover the NFL, among many other sports, for what's known as Sportsnet in Toronto, Canada. Sportsnet is like the equivalent of an ESPN or a CBS or a Fox Sports down in the States. I've been following the Seahawks for probably two decades and been following Brian's blog for a long time. And back in my Sportsnet days, I used to be a regular NFL analyst on our national radio station. And I actually covered a Seahawks game when they were playing in Toronto and the Bills in 2012. And I wrote a big story on them where I spoke to Todd Lightwicky, who actually hired Pete Carroll and hired John Schneider. And so I got some great insight there. And yeah, 
So that's, that's a little bit about me and from the show. I'm hoping to, as I said, get some good guests every week and get some smart Seahawks discussion because there's the Seahawks fan base is huge. And I felt there was kind of a gap in content in terms of podcasts. And I think this show is it's going to fill that gap in terms of smart football discussion. And there's always some good topics on this team. So let's get this thing started, Brian. So I guess let's to start the show, I want to get your take on the Seahawks offseason from the draft to free agency. And recently you've been writing on sort of an identity crisis that's been going on with the team over the last couple of years and they've gone away from their philosophy. So where are your thoughts and where they are going into camp and an overall look on their roster right now? Yeah. Um, I have to say, like, if I had picked one word for the off season, for me, it would be disappointing. Um, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a, optimistic guy by nature and um i usually am trying to think along with the team in the front office about what they're trying to do but um you know i, I think they missed on some opportunities really dating back to last off season to sign veteran offensive linemen that would have helped plug some gaps i think they're a year late in realizing that they're going to have to go in and spend real money and uh, on the offensive line in free agency and it was actually last off season where there were some really affordable quality veteran linemen. There's plenty of them. And the team chose to go after Bradley Sowell and Jamarcus Webb on the cheap. And, and I think that was a disaster. And I think we're still dealing with that. And they almost got TJ Lang, which would have been a huge get, but they didn't. Um, they had one bet. They played it. They lost. And, um, you know, I think the season kind of will hang in the balance a little bit based on some of those decisions that they made. Um, I think the draft was, you know, we should get into that a little bit. Uh, I wrote a lot about it, and um, I think they got some great athletes. I think this was a just a pivotal draft moment. I'd be interested in your take, but, you know, there was so much talent at the positions where they needed it, specifically a cornerback and safety. Um, and, you know, I think they took a real risk waiting till they did to take their first cornerback and trading back as much as they did. I thought the first trade back made perfect sense. The second one I had some questions about. So uh, I think they they gambled a lot this offseason. Doesn't mean that it won't work out, but like going for it, you know, on fourth and 20 at your your own 30-yard line, sometimes it may work. It doesn't mean that it was a, you know, a strategically sound decision. So, you know, that's, you know, that's kind of where I'm at um, and really hopeful that as we head into the training camp that, that uh, I see evidence that I'm totally wrong. <laughs> That's what I'm hoping. <laughs> well, I'm sort of with you in some ways and sort of different, I'd say, in the other ways. I totally agree that last offseason was head-scratching and how they handled the offensive line. And even this year, they've the Luke Jokel signing. It's, it's hard to see what they saw there considering how he's coming off an injury and the amount of money they guaranteed him. And, yeah, missing TJ Lang was a big one. But overall, I kind of like what they did in terms of a couple of reasons. They've really had some depth, depth issues that's shown up the last couple of years, and you saw it at running back last year. You saw it at safety when Earl Thomas went down last year. And with the amount of draft picks they made and the areas they addressed, I really like what they did to the roster. I mentioned this to you on Twitter a couple of weeks ago, and you made a good point, actually. But they do seem to have a lot more depth in certain spots that they haven't had the last two seasons. So running back now with Lacey, and Procise built his body up, and Rawls seems to be in a good place and healthy with Alex Collins and Mike Davis. They seem a lot better there. 
adding Bradley McDougald is a big addition because Cam has durability issues. Earl's coming off injury. And the fact that Steven Terrell doesn't have to start every – if Earl goes down, that's a, a big boon to me. And I think I like Malik McDowell a little more than some other people do. And I remember the day of the draft, you tweeted out a list of guys you wanted. And there was like seven or eight names. And I remember I put a tweet on top of that saying, don't be surprised if they take Malik McDowell. And I don't know if it was a gut instinct or – I remember I read an article from Stephen White. And actually, Pete Carroll touched on the same sort of thing that McDowell was playing out of position last year, and it kind of impacted his whole game. The more I started thinking about the Seahawks and how I got into Taco Charlton in that first mock draft, I think for them, as much as I do wish they addressed cornerback a little earlier and maybe added more than one in its first three rounds, I think the best way for them to beat these great quarterbacks, in which they've been kind of hurt the last couple of years, is they haven't really had that interior pass rusher. And the best way to stop a guy like Aaron Rodgers or Carson Palmer, who's giving them trouble, or Cam Newton, is to get that pass rush up the middle. And McDowell can be a dominant player at that that level. And when they had when they had Jordan Hill going that one year in 2014 and Clinton McDonald, that's when their defense has really been at their best. And if McDowell can join these pass rushers, I think that makes their defense almost better than having the sticky coverage they had a couple of years ago. So I'm pretty bullish on that. And the fact that Earl seems a lot healthier than I thought he'd be at this time of year and seems like he's not going to be going. And the fact that they don't have Bradley Sell and Jamarcus Webb starting, that makes me a little at ease, but obviously it's not comfortable with offensive line based on what they've been the last couple of years. Well, let's talk about McDowell for a second, because I think that's that's a that's a good one. Um, you know, uh, I think that uh, he is, he is going to be the bellwether for this offseason. Right, like yeah. he is the he is the centerpiece decision that they made. They built their draft around um, him, and they took risks. Um, really, you know, knowing that, that that was a guy that they could ultimately end up with. And you will never hear me um, say that finding a, a an interior pass rusher is a bad thing. You know, I think that as you said, it can be one of the most important things you add to a team. And if he becomes that, if he becomes a disruptive interior lineman. If he becomes a disruptive lineman in general, I mean, he's going to play five technique on the outside on base downs in some situations, rotating with Michael Bennett. Then it would have all been worth it, right? I mean, to to, to yeah. some extent, because those guys are incredibly valuable. But if he does not work out, if he is an okay player, if he's a Jordan Hill or a little bit better than Jordan Hill, and then Shaq Griffin is good but not great, and some of the you know seven or eight corners that were picked ahead of him end up being great that they could have had, then it starts to fall apart, and that's the risks that I'm talking about. So I, I absolutely, man, I am cheering with all of my heart that uh, you know I'm pulling for Malik McDowell to be a difference maker. Um, that defensive line is aging, and they need some of that. Um, pair that with Frank Clark, you've got a nice little tandem for the future. Um, but Malik McDowell has to come through. Yeah, that's that's not easy given his history in college. And you can talk, you can talk to some of the smarter scouts, like Daniel Jeremiah. And there are lots of red flags on the guy. And I know you've talked about this. They passed on guys like Kevin King and Forrest Lamp, who seemed like guys who were perfect scheme fits and perfect roster fits. And it wasn't like a safe, easy decision, but I don't know if the Seahawks ever do that. But yeah, there's a lot of risk that comes with McDowell. And 
they must think that they can get something out of him that Michigan State couldn't last year when he was apparently hurt and playing nose tackle, which really doesn't fit his game. But I just think they've been searching for that kind of player, and they've seen what I, – I don't know. I don't want to call, compare him to Calais Campbell because that just seems unfair. They did. I know, I, know, I know John made that comparison already. But they've seen what a guy like that does to them. And Michael Bennett and Averill are getting up there in age. In two years, I guess you're trying to win now. Michael Bennett's not ready to play, and if this guy is peaking, this defensive line's going to be good for a long time. And if this yeah, I mean, line, that, that's, whoa, that's the exciting, uh, that's the exciting part, right? So if if he does hit, if he is like, put it, as you're saying, he was playing nose tackle, he was getting you know double teamed, you know, in college, he's going to be playing out of position. Now he's going to be, you know, in between Michael Bennett and Cliff Averill, you know, in nickel packages, uh, assuming he, he works out. And if he does hit, you know, the Seahawks pass rush, I think, will be better than it was in 2013. Because as, as well as Clint McDonald played, he was a good player that year. But McDowell has the pedigree, you know, at 6'6", over 300 pounds with, you know, kind of the quick twitch that he's got for that size you know, this could be a monstrous um, defensive line. And so it would be huge. And, and I also, as I've written, a lot of teams are trying to attack the Seahawks with a short passing game and having a six fix guy inside that can raise his arms. We've seen it with um, Tony McDaniel in past years on base downs. He's six, seven, and he knocked down a lot of passes. But when you got to um, nickel and McDaniel wasn't on the field, you know, you didn't have that tall interior lineman uh, affecting those passing lanes. So, you know, I think I think he I'm excited about him. Um, you know, Ethan Posick, it was their second second round pick. And that's when I really like kind of lost it is like, wow, you're still not taking a corner after trading back <laughs> twice and then getting to your second second round pick. And I really think cornerback is a major need for this team. I think it's a huge hole. I think it's the second biggest hole after the line, the offensive line. And Posick, every everything I've read is that he's going to be a really good lineman, and I really, really hope that's true. Seahawks have zero um, credibility when it comes to taking young linemen. And I think having the youngest line in the NFL last year and adding more rookies to it, I don't think is the recipe for getting better. Um, so, you know, again, that's back to, if they'd signed veteran linemen, that second round pick wouldn't have been an offensive lineman, you know, yeah. that would have been most likely an, a better corner or a better safety than they were able to get. So those are, those are some of the places I, I hate to be the, the negative guy, but that's, that's, that's where some of my criticism comes from. It's so strange. You're the optimist. I'm usually the pessimist. We've kind of flipped here. <laughs> <laughs> well, in a couple of days when training camp starts. I'm sure I will see all the opportunity, um, but you know, I, just, I I think it's important people hear both sides of it because because you're going to always hear from the team, you know, why it's all great, and fans tend to be super positive about you know everything, and anyone that says anything negative is a hater. Um, but I think whenever you're forming a roster, I mean, we're all cheering for this team to be great. Um, it's all about balancing risk and reward, and um, I think every decision they make, just like every play call they make, is a calculated risk and um you know i think part of our part of our fun that we'll have here is is really debating whether those risks were were wisely taken and then uh ultimately they'll they'll get to <laughs> the results will will tell whether they uh they really ended up making a, a good call or not 
I also want to get your take on another topic this week. And this week's sort of been like Russell Wilson take week. And it's been crazy extremes. I, I, John Clayton on ESPN 710 put out his top five court, top quarterback rankings. And he had Russell Wilson fifth ahead of Drew Brees. Then like a day later, Andy Benoit of the MMQB puts out his top 400 players. He had Russell way down there, like in the 160s below Joe Flacco and Derek Carr. And I saw you tweet this out. Evan Silva at Roto World, who looks at things more from a fantasy football perspective. He had Russell in the top five. I think he was fourth, his fourth-rated quarterback. So you're getting these crazy variants on Russell Wilson takes. And considering kind of the season he had last year with the injuries and struggle with the accuracy, wasn't great in the red zone. What's your view on Russell kind of going in right now after he's changed his diet and he's been training like an animal, according to some of his teammates? Are you more confident in Russell, similar, or are you less confident after last year? I, you know, I think we always hear about during the offseason about great things that some guys are doing, diets they're doing, and a lot of times Russell's had those stories come out in the past, and and that's all fine. Uh, this year for me, that was the biggest. <laughs> potentially the the most meaningful development of the offseason um you know there were some whispers about russell's fitness last year partly because he got injured maybe but i think even before that um i don't think he was as sudden um i don't think he was escaping and this is before the injury even in you know preseason i don't think he was yeah. escaping as well um and it's easy for it all to be about the line and the line sucks and the line's terrible but um you know, this was just about Russell being Russell, and he he didn't he didn't quite seem like uh, the same guy that that I remember seeing before. So I took it as fantastic news that you know he slimmed down a little bit. He's been focusing on you know building some muscle and um, look, you know, <laughs> I have a reputation um, from back in the day of you know not being a fan of Russell, which couldn't be further from the truth. Um, you know, the day after he was drafted, the day he was drafted, uh, I tweeted about, you know, that was the first thing in that draft that I stood up and cheered for. I was out of my seat excited when they drafted that guy. And I wrote about the next day how he could be Drew Brees. And I talk about how I think actually better comparison Drew Brees is Steve Young. I think that's who he ultimately could be. He's a winner. He's a scorer. Um, he's a dual threat. Um, but part of my... You know, when I write about Russell, I think about that. I think about the Hall of Fame quarterback, MVP quarterback like Steve Young. And I say, what what does Russell have left to do in terms of his growth to get there? And it's really like the biggest thing is situational play. His yeah. his passer rating on third down, his passer rating in the red zone. Um, he's got to be better. And, and people can point to the line, but he's been consistently not great. You know, not as great as he could be in those situations. Other than 2015, he really was, I think it was, you know, he had a 117 rating. It's either 117 rating in third downs or on um, uh, in the red zone and 98 in the other. That's the kind of, uh, actually, let me see. I've got it right here. Yes. Yeah, it's a 117.3 third down passer rating in 2015 and 98.3 red zone passer rating. He's got to be like that this season. And um, don't forget the 2015 offensive line. No great shakes. So um, I want Russell to control what he can control, and that's his development as a passer in situations and, um, you know, his health, you know, get him in as good a shape as possible. It's just a, he's, he is the key to the offense. Yeah, and one area I'd definitely like to see him be better, 
And this is where the size does limit him, is down in the red zone. Russell isn't Russell's almost better from the 35-yard line or the 30-yard line than he is inside the 10. And stats would certainly show that. And I that's something that comes with his height. But he still has a tendency to target Jermaine Curse. I don't know if it's a, just a trust thing way too frequently down there. And with Jimmy Graham and some of the weapons they have on this team, they should be a really, really good red zone offense. I guess some of that comes back down to Daryl Bevel and how he calls plays down there. And yeah, the offensive line isn't great at pass blocking. They never have been under Cable. But given this offense and the talent around them, I'd like to see them be a really, really good red zone team and stop having to rely on field goals so much. And I think with all the skill, yeah. The keys to that? Yeah. Going through progressions quicker. I think Russell kind of locks in on plays. I think there was that play to end the Saints game last year where there was a couple throws available and he locked in on Kirst and jump ball at the back of the end zone. The one thing, the one knock I would have on Russell, and I view Russell as a lot higher than Andy Benoit does. I think he's a top six or seven quarterback in the league, but he needs to kind of go through progressions quicker and kind of read what's out there. And you really saw that at the end of the 2015 season. He was very decisive and quick in his reads. And he really, really showed an improvement reading the defense. And last year, his accuracy just wasn't right. A lot of that was with result of the recurring injuries. And he couldn't couldn't hit his, the usual accurate passes. But for me, that's the step that takes his team from good to great on offense. And if they can get a running game, that's a big if right now. And they can get some decent protection. I think there's no reason why Russell shouldn't be a great red zone player. Yeah, I think that's right. I, I had him as as an MVP last year. I really thought he was going to be the MVP of the league. And, um, you know, after that, the end of the 2015 season, he was the best player in football as far as I was concerned oh, over yeah. that period of time. He was making great reads, delivering perfect passes. He was running that offense, you know, perfectly. And, um you're absolutely right about the red zone. You know, I wrote heading into last season with Jimmy Graham. I'm sorry, heading into 2014. So it was the year before. Um, uh, you know, the some of the guys that no, sorry, it was it was the 2015 season. Sorry. Yeah, uh, when they had yeah when they had Graham and um, and Lynch, um, those were the number one rushing red zone threat and the number one receiving red zone threat in the NFL for the past, you know, three years previously, these guys piled up touchdowns. Um, they have these great weapons. And last year, Doug Baldwin was the most efficient red zone receiver. You know, I don't know if he finished that way, but partway through the year, he was an assassin down there. So they yeah. have these weapons. It, it doesn't make any sense why Jermaine Curse is really getting almost any targets down there. I don't think that's a place where he's not a separation receiver. He's not particularly tall. He's not particularly strong. Um, I don't think that's a play. I, I, I'm not a hater on Jermaine. I think he has, he's made some of the greatest catches, biggest catches in Seahawks history. And I'm, I've enjoyed cheering for him, but you got to know what he can and can't do. I think you picked a great you know, example in the States game where Russell can get better. You know, there was a play in that. I was at that game. I was at sitting behind oh, yeah. the end zone. I was sitting behind the end zone as Russell was driving the team down for what would have been the winning touchdown and time was running out and they dropped back and 
Uh, CJ Procise was in the middle of the field, but he had Tyler Lockett, Doug Baldwin, and Jimmy Graham all breaking open toward the sidelines for what would have been either touchdowns or significant gains that they could have gotten out, out of bounds for. Instead, he passed to Procise in the middle, who got tackled in the middle for a relatively short gain. I think they had to burn their final timeout, and then they had to throw a jump ball to, or they had to 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 uh, spike the ball, one of the two. And then he he ended up throwing a jump ball to Jermaine Curse. Like they should have gotten two or three more plays than they did, and that was directly as a result of a decision Russell made. And he's got to be he's got to be the field general. He's got to be the smartest guy on the field. He's got to be the most experienced. And we're past the point where you can say he's too new to know those things. You know, he should absolutely be the guy that knows those things inside now. I almost keep Curse off the field just to like eliminate the temptation. <laughs> they have enough receivers, right? They got Darbo yeah. now. Yeah. All right. Yeah, so, they've got weapons for sure. Yeah, they should be as good as anyone down there. And that's something I'd like to see better this year. I also, okay, I, I have an admission to make. And I don't know if you're like right. this, but. I know a lot of – I've heard I, from talking to scouts, I know scouts make a lot of similar mistakes. At this time of year when everything's so optimistic and sunny and training camp starts, I have a tendency to totally get sucked into offseason hype. Like I was one of those believers in Kristen Michaels' career resurgence last year. Everything looked like he was coming on week one. Week three has that big touchdown against San Francisco. He looks great in preseason. And then he becomes Kristen Michael again. Mm-hmm. And it's that time of year. And with, with this team around minicamp, there was a ton of buzz coming out of this team. There's a new roster. They've added a ton of new players. There's a lot of optimism around the team right now. So I'm anxious to hear what you have to say about a couple of players. Maybe you'll be a little more realistic than I am this time of year. Where I want to start, and I know there's been a ton of articles on this guy, and the coaches have talked about him, and he's talked a lot, is George Fant. He was he was totally misplaced last year. It was almost he was almost asked to do a job that he was incapable of doing. He's got no football experience. Came to camp as a tight end. All of a sudden, he's your starting left tackle. Fans had 25 pounds of muscle. He's redid his entire body. Been working with Walter Jones, the Seahawk Gray, the Hall of Famer, and as of now, it seems like he's going to open at left tackle, barring a, a step back. So, do buy into fans. I know I got a text from a buddy yesterday after Greg Bell wrote about him saying there's no way Fant can be good, could he? And I'm, I'm kind of buying him. Where, where do you stand? Yeah, um, if we're doing buy-sell, I'm I'm buying on George Fant. Um, yeah. I, I actually, I think I'm one of the few people that didn't think he was terrible last year. Um, I thought given the circumstances, uh, I thought he played quite well. I've, I've seen disaster um, on the field, at, at you know, especially at left tackle. And he was not a revolving door at left tackle. He definitely struggled at times. You know, he made mistakes, all that totally fair. And, and you know, I'm not going to say he was a, a great player by any stretch, but I was pretty impressed given the circumstances, how he performed. Um, I think that one of the things and I've seen him in person talked to him, shook his hand this offseason, and I actually saw sure. him and Jermaine Fetty right next to each other. These guys are monsters. I yeah, mean, they really – they're big, big guys. And Fant, like, especially got thick through the chest. I mean, he is – he is he's a specimen, so he's definitely got the body. But um, 
you know, the thing that he struggled with in my eyes last year was speed rushers. Um, you remember Noah Spence in Tampa Bay, you know, relatively, you know, he had a, he was a decent rookie up until then, but he just dominated Fant running around the corner on him. And I think similarly, you had guys like Chandler Jones who really, you know, got around the edge on him. And so to me, it wasn't necessarily a strength issue. It was a technique and a speed issue. So I'm not assuming that more strength means he's a better pass blocker. Um, and we always have to keep in mind that when the Seahawks, especially Cable, are talking in glowing terms about an offensive lineman, you can almost <laughs> certainly bet it's because they think he's going to be a better run blocker. They don't even think about whether he's a good pass blocker. Um, that doesn't seem to come to mind. So um, that I'll be watching. One of the things you can focus on in camp is 1v1 pass rush drills. You, you can tell a lot from those. And Fant's a guy that I'll be locked in on. And look, I think that is an absolute indicator of how this team's going. If, if, uh, if Fant is a starter, I feel better than if Luke Jokel ends up having to be the starter. Um, I, you know, I, I hope Fant wins that job. Yeah, um, really. If it's not fan, they don't have. Well, they don't have Bradley Sell this year, which is a positive. But you got Luke Jokel and Reese Odiambo, who who knows what he is at this point. You you're almost hoping as a fan or as a if if you're working for the team that fan takes that job and wins it because the other two options, they're not great. And I think I think fan gives this team the best chance to succeed, right? I hope so. I'm not. I'm not nearly as down on Odiambo. I think this guy was a third round pick last year. He's well regarded. Um, the, the biggest knocks on Odiambo coming out of college were durability, and you know he's had a year to. He was he stayed healthy all last year. He was available all last year. I know everyone remembers you know him stepping on Russell and some of the mistakes he made in the Falcons game, and that's fine. But let's be realistic. The guy hadn't barely played all year, and he's thrown into a divisional road playoff game against a great team that's tough and um so i'm actually not i wouldn't say i'm bullish on odiamba but i'm definitely open to to the possibility there that he might be a starting quality player um you know that's going to be taking a little time to season so honestly in, in my ideal world you know Jokel's a one-year rental <laughs> my ideal world they wouldn't sign him in the first place and they certainly wouldn't pay him eight million guaranteed but, uh, uh, you know, I'd like Odiamba to be a guy that, that earns snaps and gets in the mix. So, and I don't think that's totally out of the, the realm of possibilities. That's totally fair. And we, we haven't really touched on this guy yet. And this is probably their biggest free agent signing of the offseason. Eddie Lacy. And I don't know about you, but I'm totally fascinated by his Twitter posts lately. And he just seems so excited to be on the team. And so his relationship with kind of Green Bay – kind of faltered at the end of his tenure there, whether it was his weight or his diet. And he just seems really happy to be a Seahawk, and it's been really positive. He keeps tweeting out pictures of him in the uniform. And Now, in terms of the buy or sell, he's back on the P90X. He seems to be in the best shape of his life. He's hit all the weight clauses in his contract over the offseason, and he seems to be right around where Pete Carroll said they want him, around that 240 mark, so he can be that tackle-breaking runner like Marshawn was do you see him as a good fit in this offense on a one-year deal or are you skeptical at all I think you know I, I'm a Lacey fan um you know I, I remember when the when the Packers drafted him 
you know, and watching him play, I was like, wow, this is the first guy that I think legitimately reminds me of Marshawn and the way that he runs and not just the dreadlocks, but like, it was one pick before the pick. Yeah. I mean, he, he, he's physical, you know, he's aggressive in how he attacks defenders. Um, you know, he's got a little more wiggle than people give him credit for. Um, so, you know, I think he is, he has feature back potential and, and he, when he's been healthy has actually put up like really healthy numbers, um, you know, uh, <laughs> good numbers, I should say. So yeah. I, I think, I think he's, he was a good sign, uh, a good signing by them. Um, I like the fact that they didn't rest on their laurels. I think I'm a huge Thomas Rawls and CJ Procise fan. I think those are two good guys. I think Alex Collins is, is not bad and people shouldn't sleep on him. I think, um, uh, they've got some others in that lock in that running back room that also are interesting. Um, even, you know, Chris Carson, the, the guy they got drafted this year has some, I think, interesting potential, but if they had just had ProSize and Rawls, it would have felt like a risk. And so I think due to their durability issues, having a guy like Lacey, the three of them together, um, I don't think there's enough carries for all of them. And I think that's a good thing. I think that we should have an abundance of that position and let the chips fall where they may. Yeah, it's a lot like what Pete had at USC. And I'm pretty excited about Lacey. I think he's going to be motivated had, the last two years have kind of gotten away from him. And yeah, the offensive line isn't great. Like not as good as what he had in Green Bay, but I think he's a great fit in the offense. I think he's going to be hungry, for lack of a better word. Um, I think he can really be that tackle breaking guy, which makes things a lot easier for Rawls and Procise. And yeah, it's going to be tough to get all three of those guys carries. But I think the fact that they're willing to go with a veteran running back and not just keep doubling down on their own guys, because Collins started to show stuff at the end of last year. I'm glad they didn't get, get overly excited, which they've kind of done in the past and almost the year before with Rawls when he was coming off that injury. So he's just great insurance to have. And he more or less could be your starter. So and the last, last guy I want to talk about here might be the most important one in this group. And we've kind of touched on this position earlier in the show, but right at the end of training camp, or really the end of mini camp, Pete Carroll was asked which player was really standing out at that cornerback two position. And he totally raved about Jeremy Lane. I think he wrote, he's really focused. He's ready to go. And after a down year, his focus is really on it. Lane's best in the nickel spot based on his size, based on his game. And after last year where his tackling and coverage got totally exposed after he kind of got paid. Do you trust Lane at all? Even as a nickel corner? or as an outside corner and who can you see on the roster jumping them in that training camp battle? That's a really good question. I, I, uh, I, I admit I've never been a huge Jeremy Lane fan. Um, not as a person or anything like that, but you know, I remember him from the very first camp watching him play and his body type for me, I don't, I don't think is a great fit. I think he's, he's not quite, tall but he's not quite you know strong or you know agile like he's got a, he's kind of in between on a lot of things um and i don't think he's ever been sticky you know i and, and when i've watched coverage you know drills and and i don't think he's ever been a particularly sticky player that corner and so um i thought that he had some solid years i think that the team 
you know, probably was wise to sign him last year um, to a reasonable deal. But, um, you know, I think people are completely overestimating his his potential at starting opposite Sherman. And um, I would consider it a bad sign um, if he ends up winning that role. I think that that means that Shaq Griffin isn't the player that we hope he is, um, at least right now. And and I'd like to think that that there's a there's an old saying with with uh, Pete um, and how he does uh, depth charts heading into the year. It's you know if it's even, it, he goes with the rookie. So he's always going to go with with the younger player. I think that's where it was. We saw it with Russell and and Flynn. That was. That wasn't a, you know, Russell beat him out. That was, he was close enough that um, Pete went with the younger player and, and went with the development and we saw how that turned out. So I think Shaq Griffin's a guy that's definitely the, the first one that comes to mind. He's the best athlete the Seahawks have really had at corner since Walter Thurmond. Um, better than Sherm. Um, sorry, Sherm, but it's true. And um, I, I, you know, I, I like what I've heard about his attention to detail and coachability. Um, a guy I really like is DeAndre Elliott. Um, you know, he's someone who last year didn't show out that well during camp, but he really opened my eyes in the preseason game against the Raiders. He's physical, he's fast, you know, good tackler. Um, uh, he's got decent size. He actually is, he's a little like Lane in terms of size but is a more sudden athlete um, and has a little bit more dog to him. So I, I like, I like what Elliot can bring and he's a sleeper to me um, that could, could come in there and, and shake things up. I'm not as high on Nico Thorpe. I like Nico Thorpe, but I don't, again, to me, he's a, he's a, he's a rotational cornerback. He's not someone who I'd hope is, you know, your starting corner. No, I see him as a special teams only player that if he's on the field, it's mostly because of depth issues or, Someone gets injured, but I'm totally with yeah, you on you, Lane. Yeah, where, where, who are you? Who are you have your eyes on there, other than Lane? At corner. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. DeAndre Elliott was a guy I really didn't have on my radar making the team last year, and he did. He he kind of looked out of place at some point, but I remember that they mentioned Pierre Desir, and he's mm-hmm. sort of a guy who, when he came out of the draft. I was kind of excited about his skill set and I kind of saw him as a fit for what they like at corner. And I think there was some buzz in him around the combine and they mentioned as a guy not to count out. And I don't know if he's, he's probably a long shot to make the team if we're being realistic, but I just kind of want to see that Brandon Brander type of corner with the size and the length. Griffin kind of fits those specs, but obviously Griffin's the most intriguing one, but I kind of want to see a guy like that back in there. Cause as you wrote, they've had trouble creating turnovers and I think the length of their corners played a big role and Browner for as troubling as he was in coverage sometimes as physical as he was with his hands he had a unique ability to get the ball and force fumbles and they've kind of gone away from that because of how teams have attacked them they're doing a lot more of dumping off and hitting the middle of the field and kind of attacking cam and coverage and not going up the sidelines as much but guys like Elliott and long, more long shot extends to Sir. I'm kind of excited just to see those guys and see if mm-hmm. they can fit into the mold because 
Jeremy Lane just doesn't do it for me, and his size doesn't work. And for me, he's a nickel only player. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 the part of the offseason plan I have the, the most reservations about. And um, oh, man, fingers every finger and toe crossed that uh, you know some of these guys develop. Mike Tyson is another one that you know safety oh, yeah. that they've turned a corner, and you know hopefully he's he he works out. Um, I mean, they've, they've got a pile of players there. Um, from a pedigree standpoint, Shaq Griffin's the only one that I really think um, has, you know, meaningful upside uh, just based off of, of physical prowess. Um, Elliot's the other guy from my perspective that has upside there. I haven't seen um, Desir, is it Desir or Desir? Uh, I honestly don't know. So, I'll learn that and get that right. So apologies there, but um, I haven't seen enough of him to to speak with any uh, confidence about what he can do. But I know his size is uh, the right size for that that backfield. So hopefully, uh, hopefully one of them stands out, and hopefully more than one. Yeah, and t- that's kind of interesting because when you look back at their draft in the secondary, all the players they took, they kind of took the Legion of Boom, but just the light version. Tedrick Thompson's mm. sort of the light Earl Thomas, the playmaking safety, led the league in pass breakups in college. Delano Hill is sort of that Cam Chancellor light, the, more of a linebacker type safety who's underrated in coverage, hard hitter around the line when of scrimmage. You light, you mean physically, weight wise, or just like. I think in uh, terms of uh, skill set, in terms of talent. Mike Tyson is sort of that Byron Maxwell type player where he was sort of a safety and corner in college. He's going to probably take a couple years to transition. And then Griffin is more built along the lines of a Sherman, where he's that tall, long, rangy corner with ball skills. And so that really makes that position so intriguing going into training camp. And I know we've talked about this a few times. This has to be one of the more intriguing training camps I can remember with all the position battles and all the new players at running back, offensive line, cornerback, even all the new linebackers they brought in that no one really talks about. So we're going to do a fun little game here just to kind of tee up training camp and get you guys kind of ready and excited. And it's going to be more of like a fancy draft sort of thing where Brian will lead off with the first pick. And we're going to go into five players each that we're kind of excited to monitor. And Brian's going to be down there giving his instant observations. So I guess we can start with you, the player you're most excited to watch, most excited to see. And then, well, I guess we can comment on each and I'll follow up after your pick and then we'll rapid fire this thing quickly. Um, yeah, gosh, that's tough because, uh, like three players come to mind immediately and I can make an argument for any of them. Um, let me, um, let me stick with what I said before. I think this off season is going to be determined by what kind of player Malik McDowell is. So, um, I'll, I'll start there as, you know, I'm going to watch him in one V ones and, and just, uh, how he moves and really fingers crossed that he looks like, a a potential future pro bowler. And he's the kind of player you just seeing him come off the bus or seeing him on the field. He's a physical specimen. So watching him go up against this offensive line group, that's going to be a lot of fun. I think the guy for me who I'm most excited to see and would be my number one pick here is CJ Procise. Because when he played last year, when he touched the ball, he totally changed the dynamic of the offense. He was like that Reggie Bush style player that Pete had at USC and, I know you sent out some pictures and he's put on, he's put on a good amount of weight. 
he looks a little more durable in terms of his body and I think just the dynamic that he adds to the offense is nothing like no one else could add on this team and I want to see if he can hold up not go through day by day of injuries and just have that third down weapon and in the passing game and hopefully he can change this offense I think that's a great great call out and um, when I talked to CJ a few months ago he he talked about that he 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 was proud of how he'd put on some weight spent a little time in the weight room and uh, you could really see it for him as very much you know in the chest you know he he was he looked two or three inches thicker than he he did last year um and uh he ran a lot more physically than i expected from him last year and it didn't always work out in the sense that he got hurt but um he was uh he has the potential to be absolutely the best of those three top backs mm-hmm. all right so who would be your next guy? my next pick um i'm gonna go off off book here a little bit and um sure. the the second guy that i'm really excited about is michael wilhoyt okay that's a good um, one i i think he was a terrific um pickup in the off season he's 30 so he's you know he's on the older side especially the cfs don't tend to sign veterans um like that uh, at the linebacker spot um They've been happy to go with young players, but uh, I, Mike Morgan to me was always a special teams guy. I never saw him as a, a really starting level linebacker, and they've had a gap there really since you know they, they moved on from Bruce. And um, uh, I think Will Hoyt can be maybe end up being their best Sam backer they've had um, at least since KJ was playing that position. So. I think you you could now have the maybe the best linebacker trio that they've had um, since Pete's been there, and and I think people don't realize that Will Hoyt's actually a good pass rusher um, and a fantastic special teams player. Um, uh, one of the Seahawks coaches I was talking to just was raving about Will Hoyt on special teams and how much they hated playing him because he was so effective okay. there. So um, I'm really excited to see what what he can do, um, and I really hope he stays healthy. That's going to be an interesting battle because Terrence Garvin's a very good special teams player. And Cassius Marsh has gotten some looks there, but I think he's more focused on the defensive line. And yeah, it's kind of a position that doesn't get a lot of snaps anymore, but it's an important position and especially on the run defense and really setting the edge there. That's a, that's a good one. My next guy, I think I'm going to stick on offense. We've kind of got into him is Amara Darbo. He seems Mm. to be the long-term replacement for Jermaine Curse and, Curtis's contract is kind of set up that he's probably not going to be on the team beyond next season. And Darbo kind of gives them that physical X receiver coming from the pro style offense with Jim Harbaugh. They really haven't had really since Sidney Rice kind of was around. And Darbo could be a better red zone player, which I mentioned was a need earlier. And be a physical player at the point of attack. And he's a, he's a smooth route runner that has some pretty good ball skills and I think it's a nice dimension to complement kind of the speed players they have in Lockett and Paul Richardson and Doug Baldwin, who's probably the best route runner on the, maybe in the league. And I think Darbo really complements well in that group. And I think it's going to be fun to watch how he fits in and how he fits with Russell. It's a good one. It's a good one. Yeah. The, the next guy I'd, I'd throw out there is, um, uh, <laughs> is Russell himself. Uh, okay. Uh, I, you know, 
I know what he's capable of. I've obviously seen him plenty as, as many others have, um, you know, in camp, but uh, I want to see what he looks like. I want to see how he moves. I want to see, you know, um, his accuracy um, and his chemistry with uh, the the receivers. Um, I think Darbo is a great call out because I'm really, you know, I don't think the Seahawks have had a receiver that Russell trusts to throw the, the deep jump ball to um, the covered deep ball to like someone's yeah. on him. He's going to throw since they had golden Tate. So, you know um, I think it's just coincidence that that was the last time they won a, a super bowl. But I, I do feel like that is a aspect of the game that Russell excels in, which is throwing a really catchable deep ball. And um, I just don't think they've had the right player to take advantage of that. And I'm hoping Darbo is, is the guy that to do that. Yeah, you uh, can't argue with that. Russell is going to be someone everyone's going to want to watch. And your instant observations will be key there. And it's going to be something that a lot of us will be following since I'm in Toronto. I can't get out there. But for me, I'm going to go on defense again. And Bradley McDougald was a sign that really, what I really liked in terms of, just in terms of depth and making sure they have an option at both safety spots. And if you yep. watch McDougal's film, it's kind of surprising that he, he kind of got to them at the price he did and on the one-year deal, sort of like Cliff Averill and Michael Bennett did a few years back. Maybe not as impactful as those guys, but McDougal is a pretty good safety in terms of coverage and ball skills, but he, he's a good tackler. If you watch that Tampa Bay-Seattle game from last year, McDougal made a lot of plays at the line of scrimmage. I didn't see a lot of other teams, other safeties making, and he was tackling Thomas Rawls in the hole. And this guy's a pretty good player, and surprisingly, they got him as their third safety. And now you can have some big nickel looks and some different formations with him. I think it's going to be fun to watch him and see if he's kind of the guy that this front office is pretty excited about. And yeah, he's you can use him to just to rest up Earl a bit and give Cam a day off. So it's it's kind of exciting to see him for sure. Yeah, I think that's a great call. Um, I was looking at some stats yesterday and tweeted it out. I was shocked to see that um, McDougald had six fewer solo tackles than Bobby Wagner last year. Um, wow. You know, he had 79 solo tackles. Wagner had 85. Now, Wagner led the NFL in total tackles, but that includes assists and things of that nature. Um, so I think that's a great call, and I I think that is a – that's a under, you know, an under discussed, um, potentially impactful addition to the team in terms of they wanted Brandon Browner last year to play a special nickel role where he was going to cover the tight end more. And Pete had a pretty clear idea of how he wanted to use them, ended up not keeping him around. I think they came back to it this year with a younger, uh, more skilled player in coverage. And, um, you know, who knows what that's going to mean to, you know, maybe this is the next evolution of that defense um, scheme change that, that affects how other offenses, it's a refinely a, an adjustment to the way offenses have adjusted to them. So I think he may be a key addition for sure. Um, you know, my next guy um, is Shaq Griffin. Um, uh, he is his potential, even if he's not ready to realize it yet, but his potential is so important to this franchise. Um, you know, if, if he can be a above average starting corner, he will have, you know, he will validate a lot of the decisions the team's made. If he can be a pro bowl corner, man, huge. Um, if he's, you know, a middling starter 
or a flawed starter, um, then, you know, honestly, I think the team's in, in really tough shape um, on, on in the secondary over the next few years. So um, I, I expect to see someone who excites me, and, and I'm really hopeful I do. The hard thing for him is there's going to be a lot of pressure on him. Just maybe from the fan point of view, they passed on a lot of players that people <laughs> yes, would have won. Kevin King, two Colorado corners that both fit the scheme. Yep. And Griffin did. Griffin was a possible third round pick. It made sense where they picked him, but maybe most people thought maybe he'd be your second corner you'd be drafting. That would That's be right. really exciting. Now he's kind of the guy that you kind of need to turn into a starting player, or else this whole offseason leaves you with a giant hole. And they weren't able to add any veteran players there, but he's going to be fun to watch. And I hope I hope he's ready to do it. For me, my next guy is is kind of the guy the team's been raving about, and I thought I had a better season than he got credit for last year, and it's Jimmy Graham. Jimmy came off an injury that has derailed a ton of careers. Great athletic player. Cadillac Williams was one of them. Anything you got from him last year was just a plus, and he had 65 catches, over 900 yards, and efficiency stats from Football Outsiders said he had one of his best seasons ever. Now Jimmy's had the whole offseason to get back in shape. He looks lean and strong. Mm -hmm. If you get this guy, he was a really good player in a, a couple of games. He had those two red zone catches against Buffalo in that early Jets game. He was a dominant player, and he just made a handful of plays that no other player can make at his position. And they can get him going consistently and really get him going with Russell, especially down on third down in the red zone. He's still a fascinating player to me, as flawed as he might be and as flawed as that initial trade was to get him. But they they got to get this guy better, and he should be a more dominant red zone player than he has been. So I want to see him down there. And, really just see how the team utilizes him now. Yeah, that's a great one. I mean, I think between Graham, Procise, and Rawls, you've got three guys who spent last year uh, in the offseason rehabbing, um, you know, and this will be their their first full offseason with the team um, working through, uh, you know, getting healthy and, or sorry about, you know, repping and building themselves up and um you know just getting better and so uh, you know i think there's there's a lot of reason for hope there so i think i'm this is my fifth right i think we're on, we're on the last pick. one here that's good. tough this is so, so tough i could go down a long list but um um i'll go a little, i could go with one uh, basically i'll go with one of the offensive linemen and i, I could name at least three of them um, that mm-hmm. I'm really interested in watching. I'm going to go with a Fetty. Um, okay. Jermaine Effetti is a guy that first round pick last year. Um, I, I, I wasn't thrilled when they made the pick uh, right away. Um, I was not super thrilled with what I saw in training camp. Um, I was actually pretty excited with what I saw during preseason games. Um, he moved the pile more than I would have. Yeah, say that again. He looks physical and mean, and then that didn't show up in the games at all. Yeah, I I liked what I saw in the preseason um, in those games, but then the regular season, you know, granted he had some injury issues, so it took him a while to get in, but um, he made a lot of mental mistakes. Um, you know, I, he, he was he was a problem, um, and so. Now he's moving out to tackle. Usually when someone has trouble with pass blocking, you know, moving them outside, it doesn't get better. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I'm, um, 
I, I really want to see signs that he is is going to be a guy that we can rely on there. Um, I, I'm concerned, but I'm, you know, as always, hopeful. He's the guy I'm probably most worried about coming into the season. Just I can't picture him on the edge against a speed rusher kind of scares the crap out of me. And <laughs> yeah. he had a strange season where there was times in the middle of the year he had that Philadelphia game and the New England game where he looked like a dominant player. But then there's games like he had in Tampa or games he had against Atlanta where he couldn't pick up a basic stunt. And I know he came from a spread offense and he had a little big learning curve, but the just ability to read and recognize plays, he missed so many basic blocks. Having him on the edge protecting Russell, that's that, that scares me. And I'm hoping he proves me wrong. I like you, I wasn't very excited about the pick. I found it very dull and kind of what everyone was predicting, and that's not how they do things. I'm kind of hoping Ethan Pochish beats him out in training camp. As a, yeah. I'm kind of Pochish is just such a more stable player. And yeah, he's not as strong as mean as what maybe Tom Cable runs a right tackle, but he's just a technically sound player who's played in his own blocking scheme. And it's kind of the opposite of every player they've drafted the last couple of years who are more athletic and more big and strong and fast. Pochish is kind of the, the safe pick. So he would be my fifth pick. Just because he can be used at so many different positions, he's so versatile. And yeah, I, I was kind of hoping they take a cornerback when they took him, but when they did take Postage, I was kind of excited because it's kind of gone against the kind of players that Tom Cable has liked to draft, just the big, mm -hmm. strong guys. And I want a guy who knows what he's doing and knows how to do the basics of a blocking scheme. And yeah, Postage was playing center mostly, but they moved him to right tackle a little bit last year. And I think if he's one of your starting five, I think. Yeah, he's a rookie, but I think he makes you better than what you've got out there. And I just want to see him win one of those jobs because I think I think he's a technically sound player, and that's something they really badly need on this line. I think that's a it's a great call out, and I think if post he's another one where if he ends up starting, that's probably a good sign. Um, mm -hmm. I think that uh, you know, not to be too cynical, but having gone through this training camp after training camp, oh yeah, what I've seen is is it is very obvious which players are better pass blockers than others. And it just, that is not the factor that ends up determining whether or not they start. And so, you know, it, he may end up being a better pass blocker by far than a Fetty. That won't be a factor in whether or not he starts over a Fetty at right tackle. What I, well, I will offer is, you know, some weak uh, condolences uh, uh, or at least weak uh, support is that, um, Actually having a Fetty on the outside, if he does struggle, Russell does a better job avoiding um, edge pressure than he does avoiding pressure right up the middle. So, um, you know, it's not like Breno was the best pass blocking right tackle or, you know, James Carpenter has been out there before or, um, you know, even Gilliam was, was you know, flawed there too. So um, I, I, I in general, you know, I think the offense does better when, the pressure's coming from the edges than when it's coming up the middle. Yeah, and when Tom Cable breaks, kind of got into it with Gilliam, he wants a more physical run blocking, set the tone right tackle. Mm -hmm. That is Jermaine Fetty. I'll give you credit on that one. I'd like to see him be just be more technically sound. And Brown is actually a good comparison. That might be a Fetty's realistic target this season. It's kind of a physical, nasty player that might get beat every now and again. It might take a penalty he shouldn't. 
But yeah, that's probably a realistic target of what a Fetty can be this year. He obviously has a lot more upside than Breno did coming as a practice squad guy in Green mm-hmm. Bay. But I think that's kind of a realistic goal of what you can expect in his first season in a right tackle. And it's interesting none of us took Nick Vanette or Jaron Reed, which were two pretty hyped guys coming into last year. And they both disappointed somewhat in their own ways. A lot more Vanette than Reed, I'd say. Vanette could barely get in the field. And Reed was more of a defensive, just a solid rotational run defender, but not really an impact player, the kind of guy you trade up for. I liked what I saw from Reed, but would like obviously there's a lot more he can grow. What should we make of these guys who were kind of hyped coming into last year, Vanette especially, and he couldn't even pass Brandon Williams on the depth chart? It's funny. I, I I mean, I really liked Williams in training camp last year. He was a guy that was in my notes, you know, almost every practice because he's a big physical blocking tight end, um, great in special teams. Like I think he's actually a reasonably, you know, he's a meaningful loss to this team from, from last year. Now um, I think Vanette has certainly more upside there. Uh, he was said to be the by the the team drafted him saying he was going to be the physical blocking you know tight end that they were looking for. Um, interestingly, a lot of scouts and you know his former you know team didn't see him that way. They saw him more as a receiving tight end. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Seahawks were quote like su- you know pleasantly surprised that he had such good hands and was a good receiver. Um, but that seemed to be what a lot of people that knew him expected and um, the blocking we didn't really see develop yet. And that's what the Seahawks expected, but what no one who <laughs> knew him and did. So uh, I really hope Vanette, um, I care more about Vanette being an effective blocker than I do ha- having him be an effective receiver. Um, the team still has not replaced Zach Miller's impacts. Um, and, you know, I'll never forget. It's indelibly, you know, burned into my brain in that Redskins playoff game back in 2013, 2012, excuse me, on the road. Yeah. Um, when uh, part of the comeback, I think the, the, the go-ahead touchdown was Zach Miller cracking back on, I think it was a linebacker, and just erasing him. I mean, it was an, a monstrous block that I'm sure Miller's body is still recovering from but he just plowed into this guy and cleared the way for Lynch to, to go like 24 yards for a touchdown. So um, we need that. And um, as much as I love Luke Wilson, I don't think he's built for it. And we definitely know Jimmy Graham, as much as he's trying and improving is not the physical run blocker. So, um, you know, that, that's what I'm hoping for, for Vanette. Um, as far as Reed goes, I don't know what his upside is. The team was super excited about him last year. They traded up to get him. He seems to me like a run blocking defensive tackle and maybe a really good run blocking defensive tackle. To me, those guys are like fourth round, fifth round value. Um, They're not second round value if they're not adding to the pass rush. And the team has also been able to find guys that could plug the middle as veteran free agents on the cheap, Ataba Rubin, Tony McDaniel, Alan Branch. So I, I like Jaron Reed. I don't see a reason to love him yet. And, and so, uh, you know, I think that was an overdraft, especially I think they traded up to get him. Um, and, uh, we'll see, you know, maybe, maybe he develops more or becomes more dominant. Um, that would be great to see. I'm glad you brought up Miller 
with Manette because I think Miller's a player that they haven't really recovered from losing. He was kind of like an extra tackle on the offensive line as a blocker. And I think because his receiving stats were so down, some players didn't, some people didn't value his contributions as much, especially like league wide. He's kind of looked at as a free agent bust compared to what he put up in Oakland. He was a really good player for his team. He was so valuable in what in the, in the scheme they ran and what they did. And he was a solid receiver. So if Vanette can become anything close to that, that'd be great. But Reed, I think Reed is fine. Like he's not a bad player necessarily. He'll, he can take up, he can improve his snaps this year. He'll probably be a regular starter, but yeah, I know Michael Bennett has really plugged him as a guy that he can see taking that second year leap this year. So I'm pretty interested to see what he does and, See if he can be more than like a Tony McDaniel, Ruben player that you can just find in free agency. And they did with Alan Branch. And they've had success with that. And Ruben's contract also sets up that he's probably not going to be back beyond this season. So mm-hmm. Reed's really going to take a big role with the team. And Nazar Jones is going to kind of slide into that, the third round pick. So I'm interested to see if Reed can add some more pass rush to his games. He had a couple of sacks last year. And mm-hmm. but I'd like to see him be more of a disruptive player and get in the quarterback's face rather than just be a guy who can stop the run and only play on base downs. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that, that was a fun segment. And I think for anyone who doesn't know, Brian put out a training camp little preview, a little packet of all the players, the principal guide goes through all the 90 players and with some pretty good tidbits on them. I, I went through the whole list the other day, just to kind of get me psyched up for the show and psyched up for training camp. The stuff on there is great. And you'll go through the, the long snappers and everyone on the roster. If you're going down to camp, you should print that out, have it with you, because it's a good way if you see a number just to know who he is rather than knowing his name, you get some good stats on him. So one of the areas I also want to get into on this podcast and on the show in general is kind of a front office look at things. And I think we're both big John Schneider fans. And for the most part, we've liked how he's handled this roster. And one of the areas here I don't think he gets enough credit for is how well he's managed the salary cap. Matt Thomas, he's had as his handpicked guy for a couple of years, and they've done a really good job at keeping the team in a healthy position, making sure they can extend all the players they want to extend. They've lost a lot of good, all these offensive linemen, some players we would have liked to cap, Golden Tate being among them. But this coming off season, I know Evan wrote about this on the blog, might be maybe the most tricky season he's going to have coming up he's got some major players some of them aging some of them younger headed for free agency and i'll mention some of them we got cam chancellor is entering the final year of his deal jimmy graham is in the final year of his deal mm-hmm. justin Britt, who had a real breakout year last year in the final year of his deal and paul richardson who we haven't even talked about in the show he really came on at the end of last year and he looked like a game-changing player in the playoffs all four of them are scheduled to be free agents so Britt's situation got a little more complicated this week with the Jaguars signing their center, Brandon Linder, maybe the highest paid contract in the league. That becomes a lot trickier now. Out of those four guys, are any of them a priority for you to sign now, like you were saying a couple years ago with Walter Thurman before his breakout season, or is it a wait-and-see thing on all those guys? I don't think they have anyone like Walter Thurman where, you know, Thurman to me was clearly projectable as, you know, a Pro Bowl quality corner who had been struggling with injury and so his value was going to be under his market value was going to be under what it should be um and they could have bought low there and they didn't (laughs) and softy and i debated that for a while but uh i don't see that sitting around i don't paul richardson would be the closest there but as much as i i like uh paul as a as a receiver 
I don't think he's a great fit for this team. Um, I think what the team asks out of their receivers is not only to be a threat um, as a pass catcher to be, but to be a physical run blocker and a willing run blocker. And I think he's willing, but I don't think he's built for it. I don't know that he'll ever be great at it. And um, you know, you've already got Tyler Lockett who's willing, but pretty slender and Lockett is significantly better um, uh, in my eyes as a receiver. So I don't think you can afford to have two out of the three main receivers being guys that, that aren't physical. Doug is a tremendous run blocking receiver, um, especially for his size, but even, you know, not just for his size, just overall. I think curse is a, that's what people don't get is that he's, he used to be better. He's gotten worse, but he's a decent run blocker um, and definitely better than P rich. So I don't know. I think cam's a guy you got to keep around. I wouldn't have said that a year ago, but, I really saw, you know, I think his impact last year was huge. Um, and um, I'd like to see them keep him around, uh, ideally on a deal that the team can get out from under after a couple of years. Um, if it goes three years, so be it. But definitely, I mean, I think he'll sign for longer. But I think from a cap perspective, I'd like there to be an out for the team, you know, after a couple of years. Um, Jimmy, I think, I think they'll likely franchise him, but you know, we'll see what happens there. I, I don't, I would not sign him necessarily to a long-term deal. Um, and Britt's a guy, that's a tough one. I, I mean, I'm interested in your thoughts there. I, I know he was in the Pro Bowl alternate last year. I know the line's a mess. Um, I, the, the obvious thing is to sign him. Um, you've also got Joey Hunt and Ethan Posish. Posick or Posich, so I haven't figured that one out either. I have to go back to the drawing board, but um, both can play center. Um, you know, do you need to spend the money there? Not necessarily. I, at the same time, you've got a guy that's played well, and um, you know, it'd be good to keep him around. So I expect they'll extend him, but I think they'll they'll play that one out a little bit longer. Sort of in wait and see mode with a lot of those guys. I'll start with Brett. Brett, for the first two years of his career, I don't know if he was out of position or he was struggling to transition, but he looked like a total. Yeah, he was. He was. He was just a bust, and he could. He couldn't play at this level. And last year, Brett switches to center, and all of a sudden, yeah, he's a Pro Bowl alternate. So, mm-hmm. I'm in the mode where I want to see him prove it again. I think handing an extension to him would be great, obviously, just for continuity and setting the tone, getting that center quarterback relationship that maybe Peyton Manning had with Jeff Saturday and. Why not see him prove it again? I'd rather have him make sure that he could, last year wasn't an outlier, wasn't a fluke, because compared to the other two years of his career, it, it, would, it was a total outlier. So I if he does it again, my mindset might totally change. And, yeah, it might get a little more expensive that way. But if he proves that back-to-back years he can put out playing center, then I'm more willing to extend him at the price maybe that Linder got. Or, yeah, it's not the best value, and maybe center might be the easiest position to fill in the line. But again, for me, I'm just in waiting. And Cam Chancellor, I'm in the same thing. I want to see how his body holds up. I want to see how his production is. Every year he gets older and his body takes a beating the way he plays, you never know how he's going to respond the following year. Last year he played really, really well when he was on the field. No pro football yep. focus. Grade him very highly. Maybe one of the best strong safeties in the league as much as their grades can be debated. But he still misses a couple games a year. They have Delano Hill. I want to see how Hill fits in. And I'd like to see him back because I know of his impact in the locker room. I think he's the guy that everyone in every position kind of looks at and trusts. And he's kind of the voice of the team and the kind of guy they look at to set the tone. 
So ideally, yeah, I'd love to keep him in a team-friendly deal or even a deal that you can get out of after a couple of years. But I'm still – I need to see how his body holds up and just see – and Richardson's the same thing. He had a two-game sample where he looked like a dominant player. But outside of that, he's kind of just been a big play guy that hasn't been able to stay healthy and hasn't been able to be consistent in his route running. Yeah, he can get down the field, but if he can't run the basic routes and can't block as well, I don't think I want to pay him when you have Darbo here and maybe David Moore it could be something and they have Baldwin locked up and they're probably going to franchise Jimmy Graham. That's kind of how it lines up. I know the team is very happy about what he's been despite some of our red zone disappointments. They're very happy with his work ethic, how he's fit in, but the franchise number just sort of lines up with a logical one year. Let's prove it again. So I'm not sold on signing any of these guys right now and I'm in the wait and see mode and, at the end of the season, we'll we'll probably have this discussion again and reevaluate it. But there's kind of backups in almost all those spots where, if you lose a guy other than Graham, if you lose a guy, you can fill in with the next guy. So they've hedged really well and built their roster really well for the long term. And yeah, I mean it's a wait and see situation for me across the board. So before Seth comes on and we we kind of get with that, we haven't asked you yet about Seth's article, and you kind of alluded to that you've kind of heard about for a while and I don't know how much you can get into that but the Russell Wilson Sherman relationship their relationship with Pete Carroll since the Super Bowl yeah it's old news but it keeps popping up Sherman was on with Josina Anderson last week Russell was asked about it by Aaron Levine so just I don't know how much to buy in and it's kind of an old story that was more based around their reaction in the 2015 season that kind of sprinkled when Sherman had his issues last year with the play calling and the coaches is that something to worry about that we should worry about at all? Or is that just old news? I've been really impressed with how Pete's handled it, but where do you stand on it? I think, I think that what Seth reported was accurate. Um, I think he did his homework and um, I think the way the team is responding to it is the way the team has to respond to it. It's the right way to, to deal with it, but there's not a, I think what, what you hear people saying is that it was, you know, uh, that there's not a problem in the locker room. And I think that's not necessarily to me what the article was about. I think the article was describing what the locker room has been. And I think that um, you aren't really hearing people saying that what he wrote was not factual. Um, uh, I think they're, they're arguing with the conclusions that people are coming to, or maybe even Seth came to as a result. Like that team has had that dynamic in the locker room since 2012 and yeah. they won a Super Bowl with that dynamic in the locker room. And, you know, it, it surfaced because, um, you know, the team went through some real adversity in that second Super Bowl. And, and, um, you know, I think all of us feel like robbed of a, a, a really key moment in this franchise's history and in all of their careers. Um, and I don't know that they've recovered from it. So I think that's I think that's all true and that's all fair. Um, I don't think it has any real reflection on the team's chances this year or that it's worse than it used to be or better. And, and you know, I think Sherman has, um, you know, I've, I have a lot of respect for Richard Sherman. Um, I don't see him as the cancer or the problem that, you know, some people do. Um, I think he's a great teammate for that group and a great leader in that locker room. And um, I think a lot of the passion we saw on the field last year was 
passion because he he believes this team should be the best and should dominate. And I don't think he always handled it in the most mature way and professional way. And I, you know, I tell him myself, you know, I, I think he's better than that. But I don't fault him for feeling that way, and I don't fault him for caring that much. So I think fans should be careful about throwing the baby out with the bathwater here and um, recognizing that a player that cares that much cares as much or more than we do um, is a good thing. And, um, you know, holding every player accountable for what they're supposed to do, whether the quarterback or the running back or the special teams long snapper, um, we should all want that. Um, and that there shouldn't be different rules. Everybody should be held to that standard. Yeah. And for better or worse, it's going to be probably a story that won't go away every time Russell has a bad game or, Every time maybe the defense shows a little fire on the sidelines, which other teams aren't used to. One of the things I found interesting about that article is you can send that thing to six different people. And you'll get six totally different reactions to it. And I, I went on, I was following along a conversation on Twitter and I saw the ESPN B report for the Cardinals describe the team as the definition of dysfunction. And maybe as a point there, but I kind of rolled my eyes and, that a team that's won more playoff games last year than Bruce Arians has his entire tenure in Arizona yeah. as dysfunction. Yeah. Maybe I'm misunderstanding the word, but that seemed to be like a, a tough characterization of this group. Would you agree with that, or is that something that Not you think all. is over? Not at all. Yeah. I mean, you know, when I've talked to some of the guys on the team, you know, they've been pretty clear that there's a lot of alpha males in that locker room you know, that there's a lot of alphas and they talk about that. And I think that um, that's the characterization of this team. When you've got a lot of alphas, there's going to be a lot of, a lot of chirping. There's going to be a lot of chest thumping and um, sometimes it's going to get nasty, but at the end of the day, they're all part of the same pack and um, they all hunt for each other and um, they share the, they share the victory, they share the spoils. Um, and you know, uh, they, they pull for one another. So um, I don't see dysfunction. Um, I see competition. I see, you know, people trying to be the best. You know, I think this group of players had, I don't know if it's totally in the past tense, but had the potential to be the best, you know, dynasty, you know, in the last few decades. Um and, you know, yes, Drew, uh, sorry, uh, Tom Brady and the Patriots have had a really long standing run and that's all great. But I'm talking about a you know five year stretch of dominance. And I think that this is one of the most talented groups to be together. And and I think they all see that and want that. And they've got one ring. And I think they they all feel like they should have at least two and, and maybe more than that. So, um, you know, that's what I want, too. So let's yeah. let's see. uh People can call it whatever they want. Um, uh, when they get on the field with the Seahawks, they're going to feel it, and that's what that's what uh, this team's shooting for. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And this should be a very fun year. This is a great time of year with training camp coming up during this weekend. I think that's it for us. It's been a fantastic first episode of Real Hawk Talk, and I think that's our first episode in the book. So we, we want to hear your feedback. You can send our thoughts to Brian at Hawk Blogger. My Twitter handle is at Real Jeff Simmons. You'll find me contributing to Hawk Blogger. You'll find me talking about the team all week. I'm sure Brian will be too. So we got a lot of ideas and a lot of fun stuff lined up for, for the whole season. 
We want you to ch check up with us every week. We have great guests, and we're going to be breaking down the team on a weekly basis. We'll have our training camp observations. We'll break down the preseason games. And else we'll get into the season. So I want to hear some feedback and follow along the blog for Brian's observations. If you become one of our go-to followers, you're going to get everything. And we'll be back next week to discuss everything that goes down with this team. And I hope you enjoy the show. Brian, you too. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. And uh, you know, keep an eye out. We'll, we'll also have the Seth uh, Wickersham inter interview coming up. Um, you know, you can, you can watch as well. It's great stuff for, for him and, and uh, Jeff as, as they go through all these topics we just covered. Yeah, so I can't wait for you to get out there on Sunday and can't wait to read about the team and we'll be back next week. Sounds good, dude. Yeah, all right, see you later.